You're listening to the No Labels, No Limits podcast with best-selling author Sarah Box, where you get the inside scoop on the steps action takers and decision makers take to align their purpose to their principles and achieve their goals in business and life. We focus on the mantra, no labels, no limits, no excuses. Each week, you'll hear from remarkable guests who have overcome challenges and obstacles to succeed in the face of adversity. By listening to their stories, you'll get practical tips, tools, and resources you can implement today to bust through your own internalized prisons of worry and doubt. And now, without further ado, please welcome your commanding coach with plenty of chutzpah and heart, Sarah Box. Welcome to this episode of the No Labels, No Limits podcast, a podcast all about helping action takers and decision makers like you align their purpose to their principles and achieve their goals in business and in life. Hi, I'm Sarah from Sarah Box Coaching and Consulting. I'm a change agent, former executive director and best-selling author of The Changemaker Ripple Effect, a book about how one person's drive, purpose, and boldness can impact thousands. And I'm here to tell you that the life you want is possible with the right support, mindset, and strategy. And to that end, on today's podcast, we're joined by Dr. Elizabeth Scott, or as I like to call her, Liz. Liz is the founder of Brighter Strategy, a company that provides thought leadership and high-value organizational development consulting in support of a stronger social sector. Liz has provided training and consulting services to more than 170 nonprofits and associations who turn to her for her expertise and knowledge to build stronger internal structures so leaders and teams can better engage in their mission work, to grow and strengthen a supportive organizational culture, and to improve operations. In addition to managing the practice, Liz holds a faculty position at the Chicago School of Professional Psychology and George Mason University. She also holds undergraduate degrees in sociology and a master's in organizational sciences from the George Washington University, as well as a second master's and PhD in human and organization systems from the Fielding Graduate University in Santa Barbara, California. So you know already that Liz is well educated and positioned to share with us today on the podcast. And she is going to talk about how she came about starting Brighter Strategies at the young age of 28. And she will share her strategy on thought leadership and high value organizational development that helps clients build internal capacity so they can thrive. We're going to reveal the value of culture and how it's made up of behaviors and behaviors driven by our values and aligning our values to define successful behaviors in an organization that can be more successful. And as we think about that in the changing, fast changing environment we're all in today, this is a really timely and important topic. So now let's welcome our guest, Liz Scott. Hi, Liz. Hi, thanks so much for having me today. It's great. And Liz, I want to say before we get into this, into the topic, I want to ask you, is there something that is non-negotiable that you do every day to keep you heading towards your big purpose and vision and keeps you on track? Well, I know that it's going to sound silly, but the thing that I do every day is I go for a walk with my sister-in-law. 
she drops the kids off at school and she meets me at 7.55 every morning and we do a three and a half mile walk through our neighborhood and we plan our days and we talk about what's going to happen this week and happen this day and what's on the top of our minds. And I find that that opportunity to be outside in the sun or the rain and really sort of just start my day with a little bit of mindful planning and some fellowship really makes a difference. And so I miss it on my weekends and I look forward to Monday morning when I know the kids are going to school and we can go for a walk. (laughs) What has changed now that kids are not in school? Are you still able to do a walk? (laughs) We do, but sometimes they tag along. (laughs) It's not quite the same mindfulness vibe going on. No, but it's fun. Uh, Usually they're on their bikes, so they're a little bit ahead or a little bit behind. And about halfway through, there's this place where we can turn right or turn left, which makes it a little bit shorter walk or a longer walk. And inevitably, the kids stop at that point and go, we're turning right, right? And we always go, no, we're turning left. (laughs) How fun. And what a great way to start like with family and fellowship, like you said, you know? And It's a really blessed way to start the day. That's great. Well, let's start at the beginning, the beginning after all of your education. What the heck led you to start Brighter Strategy when you were 28? Well, so actually a lot of that education came after I started Brighter Strategies. But at 28, I had been working in the nonprofit sector for quite a couple of years and about eight at the time and had really come to appreciate the work that nonprofits do in the communities to build the social fabric of our of our nation, really, and provide support to people. And I think if you think about even in your own life, you're probably touched by more than one nonprofit, an art center, a church, or a synagogue, a community center, uh, just different ways that we interact with our communities and those around us. And the mission work of what nonprofits do is so important. And having worked at a number of nonprofits, I realized that there wasn't always the same ability for care and feeding for internal practice that there was in the mission work. And so um, what you find is that a lot of nonprofits are organizationally starved. They're doing a lot of work in the community, but they're not spending a lot of mindful practice around their own development, their own strategy, their own sort of internal structure. And as I was working in, in this space, I realized that there was a need to do organizational development or capacity building work. And I wanted to do it for more than one organization. I wanted to be able to, to do it in a consulting capacity and work for a variety of different organizations. And so I decided that I was going to go out and find a job at a consulting firm and do nonprofit capacity building. And I started putting my resume out there in the world. And um, there weren't a lot of takers. I live in the Washington, D.C. area. So most of the consulting firms here at the time were very focused on federal, federal projects, federal dollars. And people kept saying things like, yeah, if you do nonprofit work, that'll be a great uh, marketing piece, a great social responsibility piece for us. You could do that on the side, but nobody really saw it as being a viable full-time sort of endeavor. And I was talking about it with my husband one day, who is an entrepreneur. And he said, well, why don't you start your own business and and do it yourself? And I looked at him like he was kind of crazy because I was 28 at the time and had no entrepreneurial experience. And he said, probably the dumbest thing anyone could say to their spouse, which is, I can cover the mortgage for the next six months if you want to try this. And so that was another real blessing and uh, 
I wondered if he could cover the mortgage. Why hadn't he told me that sooner, really? But um, so we uh, adjusted some things and he did. He very lovingly covered the mortgage for more than six months as I got the consulting business off the ground. And so that's how Writer Strategies came into existence. Well, what a great backstory on that, because it's really from your own mission-driven work to strengthen that sector in order to be able to do the work outside of it. What, what do you think when you were in it or the nonprofits at that time, what was their barrier when you say they were kind of starved for doing work on their own internal staff and organization? What was the barrier, whether it was a specific barrier or just a practice, did you see that was preventing people from having like, well, let's spend that on us? You know, I think the barrier still exists. I think there's this myth around overhead and what percentage of your business should be spent on um, building and strengthening the culture, the staff, building internal capacity, things like strategic planning and fundraising development. And I think there's this notion that if I give a dollar to a nonprofit, 99 of those cents should go directly to the mission work. And I don't think people realize that by investing in building capacity, that you in turn are strengthening that mission work. So, you know, I think there's this myth that we have to keep the overall overhead components so low so that we look good to donors. But really, if we starve capacity and infrastructure, then we're not able to do the mission work that we so desperately want to do in our communities. It's really hard to provide a return on a donor's investment if we don't have that internal capacity. At least that's been my experience working with organizations. Yeah, and I think we see that um, around culture as well. You know, spending time to make sure that we have the right type of culture, that we've got the right individuals in the right places within our organization, that we're taking time to build strategy as a team and and thinking forward about what the future is going to look like spending time asking some big generative questions about who are we and how are we best engaging our communities. There's, there's time and effort that has to be put into that. I think oftentimes people are so busy, again, doing mission work, putting out fires, working with clients, that they don't often have the ability to do that in-house. And so that's really where the benefit of external consulting comes in. We come in as a thought partner and help our clients carve out just a little bit of space to have some of those generative discussions about what the future might look like and how they might think about organizing the talent and skills they already have on board to be more successful as an organization. Well, let's start there. But even before that, just so we're all using kind of the same understanding of culture, will you define culture and how Brighter Strategies looks at that, what it's made of? Let's just start there because that way when we dig into it, people are going, oh, I get what she's talking about. Yeah, I would love to define that. That's definitely one of my favorite topics to to talk about. Culture, as I think about it, is really behavior and action. So it really boils down to what do you value as an organization and how do we choose to behave with one another to ensure that those values come to fruition, that they are the way that we lead and guide and that we're using those values to make decisions on a day-to-day basis. So as an example, if we think about Brighter Strategies and the, the consulting team that I work with, there are 11 of us that are in the practice And we've had a number of conversations around what are our core values? What's the most important thing for us that 
is going to dictate how we behave with one another and how we engage our clients in this work. And one of the things that comes to the forefront for us is that relationships really matter, that each of us is an individual that brings great value and great perspective to the team. And so we want to make sure that we're engaging in authentic conversations, that we're not afraid of constructive feedback, that we're really striving to be kind to one another and not just nice to one another. And that comes out in our consulting in the sense that we have real conversations with clients when we see things that don't appear to be working well. We point them out in a kind and generous way to try to help identify how do we create um, a better synergy between what you're doing and where you want to be and, and how to help make those connections. So as a team, we've actually identified six values. That's just an example of one of them, but six values that sort of permeate our day-to-day how we engage with one another, and then also translate to how we consult and how we work with our clients. On a a client perspective or for any organization out there, I think having some of those same conversations around what do we value, how do we turn those values into behaviors, and what are the actions that we're going to hold one another accountable to that help us live up to those values, that's where culture really comes from. Wondering how to adapt to the rapid fire changes we are all experiencing? Curious about where you should start to position your nonprofit for future success? Want to know how I can help you and your team prioritize and address hard questions? Then book your free discovery call with me at sarahbox.com forward slash contact. I'll help you get clear so you can lead others. Now back to the show. So I think about you know, how common it is, like when you do planning or something and say, what's our values, right? So it's like this list of values, but sometimes it feels to me that there's no heart connection to those or no, like, um, looking at those and saying, okay, but we're doing this. Does that even align with what we said? And if it doesn't, are we willing to either stop doing that or reevaluate? what we're putting out there. So when you're talking values, you're talking more than just like what we'll look on a website. These are our core values, but you're actually seeing them demonstrated. Yeah. So we're thinking about values in the context again of um, of action. So how are we engaging with one another and are we living this value? So to give you another example, and I know this one's going to sound really weird, um, but one of our values is that failure is a great opportunity. And so in a way, we're sort of promoting organizational failure and we think it's a good thing. And so one of the things that we always talk about is we have a lot of respect for personal boundaries. Um, However, nothing was ever learned by playing it safe. So we know that if we want to overcome obstacles and in turn help our clients overturn obstacles, we have to learn how to handle defeat. And more importantly, we have to learn the lesson of failure so that we can improve our own growth. So we really encourage our staff to take risks and embrace failure. And we do that by challenging one another and putting them in difficult situations, but then also supporting people when they ask for help. And, you know, I think that's also reflected in how we work with our clients that we're not trying to play it safe, but really trying to identify where is the failure point here? And then what can we learn from that so that we can really appreciate what you've done well and help create more of that for your organization? I love it because that I think really holds us to, it it holds us to living our values. And when, as you describe your values, 
I could measure if you've actually been doing those, right? They're, they are metricable. I just made that word up. But you could say, have they done this, right? How many things do we even try this year that didn't work out? And did we talk about the takeaways from that? It isn't like we feel we like each other. It's like, how do we know? How do so we demonstrate really, Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, one of our, you know, values are great and actions are great. But to your point, they have to be built into a system and be able to measure them to know whether you're being successful. And so we have a, a 360 performance review that we use internally, and which gives everyone an opportunity to weigh in on each of these values. And um, one of the individuals on my team who I would, if I had to put a category, I would say she's probably one of the more junior people uh, in a team meeting said, well, Liz, who's going to do your 360? Who's going to look at how you behave against these values? And I thought that is a really great question. So we actually went out and worked with an executive coach who now does, she facilitates the 360s for all of the team members, myself included, and everyone fills it out. And then we have a coaching session with her and she sits down and she says, okay, you know, this is what we think, this is what the team thinks you're doing really well. Here are some places that the team thinks you could use some improvement. Um, And then from that, each of us creates some personal goals and work goals And we have a a publicly shared site that everyone on the team uses. And we put all of our goals up there so everyone can see what we're working on. So um, it's messy at times. It's not perfect. Um, We're still in the process of of implementing this new 360 process. But um, my team member was right. If we're going to have these values, we have to figure out how to live them. And we have to figure out how to integrate them into our systems. And so in a lot of ways, we do the same thing with our clients. It's not just about like you said, brainstorming some you know fuzzy, fun words, but it's also about identifying, well, what is the behavior and the intent behind that? What does the action of that look like? And then how do we build these into your system so that we know that you're being successful and living, and when I say successful, I mean living up to the values that you've identified as being important. So let's move then into that because you talked about values being an underlying and an essential piece of culture. So Let's talk a little bit more about culture and especially now in these times, like we've got people distributed, they're not working together. They may have been used to being together where they had support or at least visible, like I could look down the hall and see someone and go, okay, we're all still here. Um, what, why should we be focusing on culture specifically at this time? How can we think about that? You know, that's a great question. I think that particularly right now in the environment, this pandemic environment that we're in, where everyone is suddenly working from home, um, it's really easy to feel disconnected. It's easy to feel that you are by yourself working in your home office, um, that you're maybe not part of that bigger team. And in reality, that's not true. You you do have a team behind you. You do have an, an environment of individuals. And so I think organizations can use this time to begin to have some of these conversations around what is our new reality and how do we want to engage in a way that might be a little different than how we engage in the office. I can't walk down the hall and knock on your door and see how you're doing, um, but maybe I could use Zoom to have a cup of coffee with you and or have lunch with you or you know just have a conversation with you throughout the day. I know that our team has always been virtual, so we use Zoom a lot. We use platforms like Slack a lot. So we're constantly messaging with one another. 
and our Slack has serious channels where we talk about work and clients. And then we have random channels where people send pictures of their cats and their dogs and the tomatoes they're growing in their backyard and their children. And and so it's just fun to find new ways to connect with one another. So I think this environment that we're in gives us an opportunity to test out some new ways of, I know we're physically supposed to be socially distancing, but um, through technology, how can we create more of a sense of connectivity? It forces us to be intentional. Absolutely. And that's not a bad thing. You know, it's yeah. like when you talked about how you start your day, that's a very intentional act, right? And look at what you reap from that, the connection, the centeredness. So being intentional about how we connect or create space for one another, we can take those for granted when we all get to be out and about. It's not the same when we have to be remote. So one of the things um, that we've actually taken on is this mindfulness moment. And this morning was actually our first Brighter Strategies mindfulness moment. So one of our um, coaches who has a strong mindfulness background, we all got on Zoom this morning and we did a one hour collective breathing activity together, which um, I know could seem odd, um, but it was a way for people to connect, to kind of regroup, to do some breathing, to calm down, to feel a little bit calmer. Um, It's not a mandatory event. Not everybody attended. Uh, But we talked about, wouldn't it be great to do more of these? And so we're actually planning for the month of May to do Mindfulness May. And we're going to do a series of these. Some of them are going to be one hour. Some of them are going to be half hour, little mindfulness minutes. And we've decided we're going to make them available to the public as well. So if other people want to log on and have a mindfulness moment with us and do some deep breathing, we will be around to do that. So I think that's wonderful. And this this episode's going to air way before May. So we can get a link so that people will make sure they can reach out to you. I definitely want to know about that because it's one of my practices is to have time in the morning where you know, I'll put my earbuds in. I'm not listening to anything, but it's like, that's the cue. Like, don't talk to me. I'm hiding from the world. Don't well, talk I mean, to I'm me. actually, my family's near me, but it's like, okay, she must be listening or getting ready to talk to somebody, but I'm just like in my quiet space so I can regroup and think or I'll walk. But to have that collectively is yeah. powerful where you're, just, you're in the presence of others who are doing the same thing. And that can be really assuring as well as grounding. So That's totally cool. We'll definitely make sure to get that link out to you. I want to get a little bit more into the weeds, um, Liz, before we wrap this up. So I want to pretend that I have been in an environment where I'm working on site with my team and we are now scattered and we have this opportunity to think about our values and our culture and how we want it to be or how it may need to change going forward, not necessarily our values, but how we work. If I was going to really flip the switch and say, okay, I'm going to pretend that you are our executive coach, much as you reached out to that person to help you with your 360s, would you use a cultural assessment to say, Sarah, here's where you and your team are currently and how you might look at it. Can you talk about how people can go through that process if it's brand new to them? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, there's a number of tools that are out on the market And there's one called the Organizational Culture Inventory that we really love. We've had a lot of success with it with our clients. um, And we've actually taken it on ourselves. Um, And what it does is it gives people a perception around what your current culture looks like 
and then what your ideal culture is, which gives you this really great gap analysis between the two and can be the beginnings of that sounding board, that discussion for how do we get from where we are to maybe where we want to be. For organizations that maybe don't have the, the bandwidth or the resources to do an assessment, I think you can still have that conversation internally and begin to think through that sense of what is our vision? What do we want our environment to to be, to feel like? What do I want it to be like to work here? How do I want to feel about my job and about my coworkers? And I think you can sort of back end into that conversation. And I would encourage whether you use an assessment or whether you just have a conversation as a team, I would encourage you to land on somewhere between three and maybe six value statements that you think really sum up the the core of who you want to be as an organization. And I think if you can really be mindful about not creating a laundry list of, you know, here are the 15 or 20 things that we would like to see, but what are those three to five, three to six things that we think will really drive us as a team? That can be powerful. And then I would encourage you to take each one of those ideas and try to unpack it a little bit. So, you know, using the example that I gave earlier with one of our values being that failure is a great opportunity, what does that mean? Does that mean to fail at any cost? Does it mean to take crazy risks? Does it mean that we have a, a closeout learning meeting after every failure? You know, there's lots of ways that you could interpret that. And so I think getting people to a place where you can have a discussion around what this value means and what actions around that might look like can be really powerful for a team. Perfect. Well, I think there'll be a lot of those conversations going forward. I love that you talk about unpacking it and getting very specific so that people can internalize it and know this is what I mean. This is what my team and I mean together. Um, And then we can live those values. I will say that I worked with a group not too long ago who had really good values. And then they were going through this huge transition, right? And they're trying to figure out, should we do this and that? And then I'm looking at their values and I said, okay, how does this jive with where you guys believed when you started? Mm -hmm. Dead silence, right? I didn't say anything more. And they started a whole different conversation. And they said, we know what we need to do now, right? Because they'd forgotten one of their values, which was about the importance of their team, right? Much like you talked about your staff, your team. And all of a sudden, when they reconnected to that, the light bulb went on that was like clarity, right? The good, we can get clear about what we need to do and don't need to do because it either does or does not fit with our values. And um, so, but you speak about it so eloquently and clearly that I love that. It's very concrete for people and I'm excited for them to hear this interview. I will encourage folks to reach out to you and go to your website. We'll have that in the show notes to learn more about Brighter Strategies and the link to your Mindfulness May information. That sounds wonderful. Thank you so much for the opportunity to join you. This has been fabulous. Thanks, Liz. I always love talking to you. You've been listening to the No Labels, No Limits podcast with best-selling author, change agent, and strategic vision coach, Sarah Box. 
You can grab the show notes and find out how to work with Sarah at sarahbox.com forward slash no labels, no limits podcast. We'd love this podcast to reach as many people as possible. So please remember to rate, leave a five-star review and share the podcast with someone you think would get value from this conversation. Until next time, keep taking those daily action steps to align your purpose to your principles and achieve your goals in business and life.